Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. Hey, if you brought a Bible, would you go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? I got a message on my heart today that I believe is something that, that the Lord wants me to share in specifically in this season that we're in. Um, in fact, this morning I was reading, if you've been reading in our Bible reading plan, we read today or today's reading is Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And it's interesting because as Peter is writing this second letter, he's mentioning that um, his, his departure is coming. And so he's talking about some things that he wants to remind the church so that they will thrive once he's gone. Now, of course, he's talking about his death, and I'm not preparing for my death just yet. But a season of departure is here uh, for, for our family. And so we're, I, I've just been over these last few months praying about God as we close out the year and as the Miller family closes out our season here. What are the specific things you want me to remind Awaken Church about? And today's message is just that. Today's message from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is a personal lesson that God's been teaching Jen and I that, if I'm being honest, I was never planning on preaching. But this is something that, as God has spoken it to us, I've realized, and as I've been praying about what to share with you, I've realized that this, I think, will be really helpful for you in whatever season either you find yourself in now or a season of struggle you find yourself in. Um, in in the future. This is a, a personal lesson I just want to share with you from 2 Corinthians 12, because I've been struggling with a word recently. It's a word that I love to use, but it's a word that I don't like when it gets used on me. It's the word no. Anybody else? I love using it. One of my favorites but I don't like when it gets told to me. In fact, it's really intriguing as a parent how quickly our children at the youngest of ages learn the word no. Um, now, obviously, it's uh, learned because we're telling, you know, parents are telling our kids that from an early age. They pick up that word pretty easily. So as, as parents, anybody who's got kids, you just kind of get used to the, the first few words are like mine and no, you know? And although I, I've, I, yeah, I remember when my kids were super little and learning this, I didn't like hearing the word no from them. I want to share a message with you from, uh, about when I hear the word no from someone else. Here's the title of the message today. Write it down. When God says no. What happens when God, which by the way, think about this, God never has to say no. He's the only one who could say yes to literally everything because he can do anything. And yet he so often tells us no. And, and you know, 2020 has been a year that has reminded us like never before of the prevalence of pain in life questions and struggles that we're going to face. And so here's God who could take away all of the struggle and pain in our lives, and yet so often chooses in his sovereignty as we're praying for the removal of these things to say no for whatever, for whatever reason. And uh, what I hope to communicate to you today 
is just the gentleness of our God. Because if you're not careful, if we hear about the God who is sovereign and powerful overall and could, could do anything he wants, but chooses not to remove pain at times, you can get the wrong idea of God. And what I want, what I want to communicate to you today is that when you ask God to remove whatever pain it is that you're facing in your life, and God, for whatever reason, says no, Listen closely. God is not telling you, get over it. He's telling you, gently, I will meet you in it. This is what God's been speaking to Jen and I over these last few months, among many other things. And I want to share from a text of scripture that's near to my heart, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Interestingly, as, as I was preparing for this message over these last couple of weeks, I was thinking back to the first time ever that I taught this text. Um, it was over half of my life ago. I was 18 years old, and I was working at a summer camp. And the director of the summer camp asked me on Sunday night if I would teach the guys' Bible study on Monday morning. And I was like, come on, a little longer notice would be great. And so I just spent some time praying about what do I teach? I was supposed to teach on leadership. And I felt like the Lord led me to this text of Scripture that's about weakness, And I felt like I was supposed to tell these guys that as leaders, if we're going to be strong, godly leaders, we need to recognize and embrace our weakness because it's in those moments that God can display his strength. And this is a text that's near to my heart because I remember, I can still still go back to and picture the scene of me sitting in the director of the camp uh, his living room with the, a group of a small group of guys, and I remember teaching this text, and I remember feeling so clearly as I taught that that God was confirming to me my gift of teaching, and so it's a, it's it's a near it's a text that's near to my heart and one that we've heard quoted a lot, but I hope that you're able to see it on a real personal level today. Second Corinthians twelve verses seven through ten. Now, just a quick context. Paul has just talked about visions that God has given him of heaven. And now he talks about some pain that he's dealing with because of it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This changes Paul's tone. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Come on. That's a good reminder. Amen? So here's what I want to do. I want to just unpack four quick application points from this. These are four truths that, if I'm being real honest, you may not like them when I say it. But sometimes we need to hear it how it is, right? You with me on that? Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to just remind us of the hard truths. And so I want to give you four things from 2 Corinthians 12. Number one, write this down. Sometimes 
God's grace comes disguised as pain. Nobody likes to hear that. <laughs> sure you do. Um, we, we like to sing about how amazing grace is. But the reality is that there are times where grace doesn't feel amazing. Case in point, Paul's thorn in the flesh. You're like, well, why are you calling this God's grace? Because it says that this was a messenger of Satan. Well, uh, the, the thorn in the flesh, there's a lot of theories about what this thing was, this calamity was that Paul was dealing with. There's a lot of guesses And there's just no way for us to know exactly what Paul was referring to, which honestly I kind of like. Because maybe had he been real specific, it would have been hard for us to relate. But if we keep it generic, like there was something that was really deeply painful for Paul, then we can kind of fill in our own blank, right? We can kind of insert ourselves into the story. We can relate to that. So we don't know really at all what Paul was referencing here, but I know this for sure. It hurt Paul a lot, whatever it was, and he begged God to take it away. Right there, we can relate to that, right? So here's a couple things that I think it's important that we understand when it comes to struggle and pain in the life of a follower of Jesus. First of all, you need to understand this. If the devil touches your life at all, rest in the fact that God allowed him to do so. Right? If, if you've been reading through our, uh, our Bible reading plan, you just finished 1 Peter uh, just a couple days ago, and it said that, that um, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't say he is a roaring lion. He's like one. He's disguised as one. He's actually more accurately a dog on a leash, Okay? He's a dangerous enemy, but he's a defeated enemy. Let's get this right about the devil. He is not God's opposite. He is God's enemy, but he is not God's opposite. He is not as powerful. And if the devil touches the life of a follower of Jesus, it's because God has allowed that to happen. This is a messenger of Satan, but God, by his grace, has allowed it. Why do I say by, by God's grace? Well, here's the second thing that you need to understand about pain is, is, is what we have to understand is that God allows pain not just not to hurt us, but to help us. We've got to understand this. So this is what Paul's dealing with right here. Because Satan sent the thorn, whatever the thorn was, the thorn in the flesh, he sent it to hurt Paul. This is always what the devil does. This is his game. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said. But God used this to help Paul. See, God allows pain to to build us, not to destroy us. This is what God is, is always doing here. God used it to help Paul. Why do we say that? Well, because Paul said that the thorn in the flesh was given him to keep him from conceit. The devil doesn't want to keep us from pride. He wants us to plunge headlong into it. God wants us to, God wants to protect us from it. So the key word here is given. It doesn't say Paul was inflicted with a thorn. It says he was given a thorn. It was a gift. It was God's grace disguised under the mask of pain. Now, if we were given the choice between removing pain and redeeming pain, we would choose removing pain. I think if we're being honest, 
God, uh, that's cool. You could redeem it, but could I just not have to deal with it at all? That would be great. Where do I sign, sign up for that? But God, God often, instead of removing the pain, chooses to redeem it instead meaning he'll allow it to inflict us, allow it to to afflict us and touch our lives, but the whole point is so that he can redeem it and use it in our lives. In fact, what he's doing right here is protecting Paul from a greater problem. He uses the pain, the thorn in the flesh, to protect Paul from becoming conceited, which, by the way, if you go all the way back to Genesis, the original sin is pride, All sin stems from pride. God said the far greater pain would be that Paul would become conceited and prideful and that will wreak havoc on his life. So I'm going to, by my grace, allow some pain in his life that will prevent worse pain. Do you see? This is God's grace. You're like, but my life hurts. But God says, no, if I didn't allow this, it would be far worse. Sometimes, God's grace comes disguised as pain. Grace is amazing, even when it stings. Here's a second thought for you. Would you write this down? A faithful life or a faith-filled life is not a pain-free life. Again, hard truth, but this is reality. Because I think we can relate to verse 8. He had something painful in his life, and three times... He asked God, he pleaded with the Lord about this this thing. I'm going to say a lot of things that maybe you you don't love as we go through this. But but here's a thought that I had this week. I wonder how many of the miracles we're praying for are not so much about the miracle, but are about our comfort. God, heal me. Well, is it because... You want God to be glorified, or is it because you want your life to be easier? I mean, mean, right? Like, real-life struggle for for Jen and I, even, in taking a big step of faith. God, make the path crystal clear. Is that because we want God to be glorified in that, or just because it's a lot easier if he just shows us all of the details? Like, I think sometimes we're praying for a miracle that actually is less about God's glory and more about my comfort. And Paul is begging with God. God says, no, my grace is sufficient. Have you ever heard somebody say that the suffering in somebody's life is due to a lack of faith? Maybe somebody's told you that before. Well, you're not healed because you don't believe enough. I'll never forget standing by the hospital bed of a friend of mine dying of cancer while his daughter walked in the room and told him that the only reason he had cancer is because he obviously had some unconfessed sin in his life. And by God's grace, she took a phone call and walked out of the room so that I didn't say something to her that I regretted. And while she walked out of the room, I told him the truth. And I said, don't ever listen to that lie. God knows your heart. She is not your judge. Sure, you confess whatever's on your heart, but just because pain exists doesn't mean we have a lack of faith. And if you don't put that lie on yourself or anybody else, that's a lie. And if somebody tells you that, here's a good text to take them to. I'll give you two 2 Corinthians 12 that we're looking at right here, and Matthew chapter 26. Both scenes are Paul and Jesus. In deep anguish, 
begging three times for God to remove the pain. Matthew 26 is a scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there's any other way, Jesus said, please, I don't want to do this. God says, no. God says, no, this is the way. Trust me in this. My grace is sufficient. So were were Paul and Jesus suffering because they had a lack of faith? No, don't tell me that. God allowed suffering in their lives because he had a bigger plan. And I wonder how much of us, how many of us maybe would miss out on God's bigger plan if he removed the pain or didn't allow the suffering or the hardship that that we face. Because a faith-filled life is not a pain-free life. So, listen, we pray by faith, but can you receive a no by faith? I know we're asking for a yes, but what if God says no? Can you receive that answer by faith? There will be pain. This is part of the human existence. Here's a third thought. Jot this one down. (laughs) You won't like this one either. The list of what you actually need from God is really short. Come on, write that down. You're like, no, I got a lot of things that I need from the Lord. Uh, actually, it's a pretty short list of what we actually need from God. In fact, think about it this way. A lot of the things that you think you need from God, you don't actually need and he probably won't give you. <laughs> oh, man. S- crystal clear clarity about the future. Answers about all of your questions. God-specific timeline. You think you need all of that from God. The reality is you don't need that. And the reality is he's probably not going to give you most or any of that. Because if he made all of that easy, where would the faith be, right? Where, where would the trust be? The list of needs, the list of things that we need from God is not actually even a list. If you look up the the definition of list in the dictionary, it's multiple items. This isn't even a list. It's like one little bullet point. We find it in verse 9. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. That's it. That's all you need. That's the list. All of the things that you need from God, that's the list. Grace. Uh, well, well uh, grace is good. I mean, we, we love singing about uh, amazing. Believe me, grace is amazing. But I'm also going to need, no, you're not. Listen, here's what you need. You need God's grace. God himself right here in the middle of whatever Paul was dealing with says, all you need is my grace. I am present in your life. I've got a purpose for your life. All you need is to trust in my abiding grace. I felt like as I penned those words this week, there was somebody who would hear this message today, that that was the main thing you needed to hold on to. Because what you've been asking for from God is a whole bunch of specifics and and, and details, and you think you need all of these things from God. God just says, would you trust me? Because my grace is sufficient. You know what that word sufficient means? It means more than enough. All that is needed. God's grace is all that we need. And here's what's so great about that. If you'll trust God with that, it'll reframe your perspective on pain. 
Because watch this. Verse 9, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And now you'll notice Paul's, Paul's whole prayer, his mindset shifts. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. He goes from, hey, God, take away my weaknesses to, oh, okay, well, if all I need is your grace, then I'm going to brag about my weaknesses. Do you see how this changed? I'm going to boast, he says, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. In fact, he says, for the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses. Actually, kind of, I'm starting to dig them. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This changes everything. When I recognize, listen, in the middle of your cancer diagnosis, when, when the prognosis is bad, but you say, man, I recognize God's grace is sufficient for me. This changes everything. In the middle of your failing marriage, when you recognize, I don't know where this is headed, but you go, God's present in my life and God's grace is sufficient for me. This changes your mindset. In the middle of whatever struggle or pain you deal with, when you can say God's grace is sufficient, it's more than enough and it's all that I need, it will reframe your perspective on whatever pain you face. And so here's the fourth truth. Write this down. Your weakness is the main place God shows his strength. In fact, as I I was reading this, I was reminded of, uh, so these are obviously 2 Corinthians 12. These are Paul's words. But I was reminded of some other words of Paul. Paul's contentment in his weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, reminds me of his words in Philippians chapter 4. You might remember in Philippians 4 verse 7 that Paul told the Philippian church, you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. You will experience God's peace. It it goes beyond human comprehension. That's what Paul is saying. Have you ever wondered what that kind of peace looks like? Have you ever wondered, like, this peace that surpasses understanding? Have you ever wondered what that looked like? Well, look no further than 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Peace in the middle of weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, when he goes, actually, I'm content in the middle of them and kind of ready to boast about my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. If If you want to see peace that surpasses human understanding, it's right here. How can Paul be so happy? He's got a thorn in the flesh that he's begging God to take away. And he goes, no, actually, I'm pretty good with all of it. That's peace. This is peace that surpasses human understanding. So then I guess the question is, how did Paul get there? And more practically, how do I get there? Because I need that. Well, maybe you missed Philippians 4 verse 6. It says, don't be be worried about anything. Instead, pray about everything. There's our problem. we, we, We worry about everything and we Facebook everything. We got the whole verse wrong. Stop worrying about everything and pray about everything. And and then, if you'll tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done, verse 7 comes next. You will experience the peace that goes beyond human comprehension. This is how Paul got here. Listen very closely. God's peace in your life 
is contingent on you trusting him with the pain that you face. God doesn't need to remove pain for you to be at peace. I need to say that one more time. God does not need to remove your pain. Stop waiting for your life to be easy for you to feel at peace. If you need your life to be easy to feel happy, then you don't actually have God's peace. God's peace is present no matter if life is up or down. You know, sometimes God miraculously removes the pain. But I find that more often the miracle is God provided peace in the midst of the pain. I told you that this message comes from just a kind of a a personal thing that the Lord has been speaking to Jen and I. Many of you guys have reached out and asked how we're doing in the middle of all of this transition. Um, The way we describe it is a word we made up in our family, slad. We're sad and glad in the same, in the same thing. And it's just all these emotions rolled up. It's anticipation of the future and the belief that God has something amazing in, in store and, and deep sadness of leaving behind something that we love so much. So we're, we're slad. Okay, that's, that's how we're feeling right now. You're like, what does that mean? I don't even know. That's, it's hard to put it into words, right? And so, so there's just been, Jen and I especially, we've just struggled over the last few months as we've been praying and asking God for direction. And I remember one time in particular on our front porch, Jen and I just in prayer and, and in tears, struggling, questioning, doubting, hurting. I'm trying to be real with you here because you struggle just like I struggle. I remember just being there on the front porch, and I, this, this came to my mind. Thank God for his word. As I struggled, I felt like the Lord reminded me, my grace is sufficient for you. You're asking for all of these things. I'll give you what you need, but my grace is sufficient. So we, we, we were just in this place of struggle. I, I almost, in fact, today, as, this week as I was writing this message, I almost decided to call this message pull up a chair. I'll tell you why. Because I think it's real easy to get this idea of God as though he's like this, no nonsense, we've got work to do, God. Not empathetic. I, I kind of, it's easy if we're not careful to view ourselves in the chair. Here Jen and I were on the front porch praying and struggling, and it's easy to view God as kind of like disconnected, arms folded, looking down at us. Come on, get your act together. Get over the pain. My grace is sufficient. Almost like rebuking us in the middle of of our struggle. It's easy as humans to view God that way. But God in his grace gave me this visual as we were there on the front porch, Jen and I both sitting there. And I realized that the chair isn't for me to sit in and for God to stand over me condemning me. The chair is for God to pull up a chair and join us in our struggle. 
So here Jen and I are sitting and, and kind of struggling, and then God just pulled up a chair with us. He's not there. Listen. He's not there with arms crossed, angry at you. Oh, you of little faith. That's not what he's saying. His arms aren't crossed. His arms are extended. Holding you in whatever you're dealing with. He's not, he's not rebuking you saying, get those tears off of your cheek. He's wiping your tears and he's wiping his own. Because pain is a real part of the human existence. Jesus went to the funeral of his friend Lazarus and he cried. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Why is that verse so powerful? Well, because Jesus, if you know the scene in John 11, was about to resurrect his friend. Jesus had no need to cry. He knew the future. But can I tell you something that I love so much about our God? God's knowledge of the future does not remove his empathy of your pain in the present. So the same God who could show up to the funeral that he knew he was going to change everything and resurrect the guy, he could also be in the moment crying with his friends. This is the God that we serve. And what I felt like I needed to communicate to you today is a struggle that we've dealt with in our own lives. That there are many times, by God's grace, he's going to say no for one reason or another. And you may not have clarity on why that is. But are you willing to believe that God's grace is sufficient? That in the middle of whatever you're dealing with, he's there with you? Because it's the kindness of our God that leads us to repentance. So, can I just encourage you as you struggle? Pull up a chair. If this is a helpful visual for you, pull up a chair. God, would you come meet me in my struggle? Because, man, I'm sad. God, I'm hurting. God, I need you with me. Pull up a chair and be quiet. You may not see him physically. You may not hear his voice audibly. But I can promise he'll be with you in your pain. His grace is sufficient. And no matter what pain you face, when you are weak, come on, God is strong. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.